0: And welcome back to Coco Sleep, a podcast of original children's bedtime stories and meditations designed to make bedtime a dream. More and more of you are joining the Coco Club, and we couldn't be happier. Thank you so much to you and your parents for going for it and signing up. Today, Coco and I are delighted to welcome Sarah, Dylan, Sonny, Brilliant name, Sebastian. Max, Harry, Emmy, Alba, Eden, and Camilla. All of you have joined on a very special day too. We are welcoming another writer into the team, and I'm really looking forward to sharing her story with you. So here's a big warm-hearted welcome to Jane Thomas too. Before we begin, a quick message for the grown-ups. If you'd like to support our podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, unlock four bonus stories per month, and much, much more, you can join Coco Club. Subscribe in just two taps via the link in the show notes. But now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. In a short while, we're going to go on a road trip to the village of Lower Starry Skies, where we'll meet Tilly and Bo who are about to take a trip in a charming little camper van called Mellow Yellow. But before we set off, get into bed and get all your wriggles and giggles out. Have a stretch if you need and find your comfiest position. Maybe try having a lovely sigh on your next out-breath too. There, and relax a little more. Close your eyes. Lovely. Now, let's see what happens when Tilly and Bo set off in mellow yellow. This is Tilly and Bo meet a Vanimal by Jane Thomas. Everyone in the village of Lower Starry Skies calls Tilly Bell their Aunt Tilly come to that, everyone in the village of Upper Starry Skies calls her that too. Of course, she isn't everyone's aunt at all, but she is by far the wisest, kindest, most sparkly-eyed lady they know, and behaves exactly as an aunt should. Her motto is, do come in if my door is open, and nobody has ever known her door to be closed. Aunt Tilly lives in a little white cottage that is covered in pink roses. She must have the greenest fingers in the world, because even in the depths of winter, when the cottage is wrapped up in snow and sparkling icicles hang from the eaves, the roses still bloom. If you wander down the garden path that weaves its way between lavender and lilac, you come to a wooden gate that leads out into sleepy forest She really is Aunt Tilly to Bo and Bo loves to visit her whenever he can He's going there now in fact walking down the lane in the sunshine humming a little something and nothing as he goes He knows he's close to the cottage when he hears the wind chimes Aunt Tilly has dozens of them hanging outside waiting to play tunes as breezes drift by They have the sweetest melodies Bo has ever heard. Sometimes he sits in the garden for hours, just listening to the music that is magically, wonderfully different every single time it plays. But not today. Today, he's going straight inside. Today, he can smell the soft scent of cinnamon slipping out of the open door. Normally, Bo is a terribly polite little boy who knows how to knock on doors and wait to be asked in. Aunt Tilly's place is special, though, and in he goes, along the corridor that is filled with flowers and plants and has walls covered in photographs of far-off lands. There she is, waiting for him in the kitchen. The cinnamon cookies are just out of the oven, cooling on the rack with steam, gently rising into the warm air. She is wearing, as she always does, clothes that seem to float and drift around her. And when she gives him a welcome hug, it feels exactly as if he's being wrapped up in a billowing cloud. Hello, dear, she says. You're just in time for cookies. Bo is always just in time for cookies. How does Aunt Tilly always know when he's coming? He takes a cookie and dips it into a glass of milk. They've done many tests over the years, and both Beau and Tilly agree that a cookie should be held for exactly five seconds in the milk to get the perfect level of softness. They look at each other solemnly over the glass, counting aloud the seconds in time to the tick of the clock. One, two, three, four, five. Perfect, just perfect. Bo takes a bite and his insides dance with delight. Beau is so busy concentrating on the very important task of eating his cookie but it's only when he finishes that he notices Tilly is busy packing an enormous wicker basket. A cake wrapped in a soft blue cloth disappears inside, along with piles of sandwiches and jars of coloured sauces, and a brown paper bag which, Beau finds by sneaking a peek, contains a small mountain of perfect plump peaches. Pass me those plates, dear. Tilly points at the plates sitting on the table. They're Mo's favourite, covered with teeny tiny birds that he always thinks are so small and delicate they can only have been painted on by fairies. He thinks this partly because he's convinced fairies live in Tilly's garden. If you walk around to the side... Where the honeysuckle grows and the bees spend their summers, there are toadstools the size of cushions, and they're proper toadstools too. The kind that are bright red with big white spots that always look as if they've been freshly polished. Beau is sure that if fairies live anywhere, they must live here. What are these Bo asks, picking up a strange-looking spoon from the table. Oh, my, I nearly forgot, says Tilly. We can't have a picnic without runcible spoons, can we? How silly of me. Hand them over, dear. Bo is pretty sure runcible spoons aren't a real thing. At least, not in anyone else's world and they were only real in poems when owls and pussycats went to sea in beautiful pea-green boats. But, of course, they would be real in Aunt Tilly's world. She had travelled so far east that she had ended up going right around the world and getting home again. And she had travelled so far north that she had gone right around the world that way too coming home with pictures of her standing and smiling with polar bears and penguins. If anyone would know where to get a runcible spoon, it would be her. Tilly was busy fiddling around with wide leather straps and buckles, trying to get the picnic basket to stay shut, even though it was bulging against everything inside. Let me help, offered Bo reaching in with his smaller, nimbler fingers to try and tighten the straps. Oh, it won't work, sighed Tilly. Oh, what a bother. She floated off in the direction of the garden shed and emerged triumphantly with a long length of rope. Be a dear and tie it up with this bow, she said as she handed him the rope. Bo wasn't terribly good at knots, but he tried his best. He took the rope and wound it round and round the wicker hamper, looping it through itself time and time again, until you could really see no wicker at all, and instead just a huge bundle of woven, knotted, mixed-up rope. Sorry about that, he said sheepishly as he presented it to Tilly. But it's perfect, she said, clapping her hands, eyes sparkling more than ever. Well done, dear. Now, can you carry it out to the van? The van? asked Bo. The van, said Tilly. She was already halfway down the garden path when she turned Wisps of clothes continuing to float and creating a soft whirlwind of blue and silver around her. But of course you've not been introduced, have you? Beau had no idea what she was talking about and certainly hadn't known until that moment that one should always be introduced to Vans. But if you think about it, If you go anywhere in a van, or any vehicle come to that, you will spend a lot of time sitting in it and leaning on it and asking it to go faster and then asking it to slow down. And things will probably go an awful lot more smoothly if you're polite. And politeness starts with a proper introduction. Bo, meet mellow yellow said Tilly with a flourish, gesturing towards a cheerful little van of sunshine yellow. Sun bounced off the polished chrome headlamps and Mellow Yellow seemed to wink at Bo. He could have sworn the van even gave a little shake, just the way a dog wags its tail when it's excited to see you. Lovely to meet you, said Beau, smoothing his hand along the van's door and peering through the window. Inside, he saw the miniature world that Aunt Tilly had created. Mellow Yellow had everything needed for a proper adventure. A gleaming copper sink stood waiting to be useful on the side, and endless little sky-blue cupboards were hooked carefully closed. A narrow shelf ran all along the top at the back of the van that was filled with books. A bed was covered in a mound of blankets, each more colourful than the last, with cushions poured into every corner. It looked, both thought, like a little nest. Isn't she wonderful, said Tilly pulling open the door and gesturing for Beau to help her pick up the rope-wrapped picnic basket and put it inside. I think she's glorious, said Beau. How long have you had her? I've never seen her before. Many, many years, said Tilly. But she's been in retirement for a while, haven't you, old girl? I decided it was time she went on a few adventures again. Bo wasn't sure whether Tilly was talking about the van or herself needing adventures, but as long as he got to go along, it didn't really matter. The passenger seat of Mellow Yellow looked like the most comfortable seat he'd ever seen, as wide as an armchair. Help me in, Bo said Tilly, and he went around to the driver's side and held out his arm so she could push herself up, up, up onto the high seat. Beau waited until she had wriggled herself comfortable behind the wheel, noticing that she needed to sit on two cushions to be tall enough to see through the windshield. He carefully closed the door. He didn't dare to bang it and risk hurting the little van, and trotted around to the passenger side and climbed up. His side, he thought to himself. Not just the passenger side, but his side. Yes, dear, your side, smiled Tilly, and Beau smiled back while inwardly scratching his head. He was sure he hadn't said anything out loud, Mellow Yellow started almost before Tilly had finished turning the key. She was keen to go and explore again. The three set off slowly, moving down the little lane and waving at everybody in lower starry skies, who all waved back cheerfully and shook their heads smiling to themselves, wondering what Aunt Tilly was up to this time. Beau felt terribly important and proud, sitting next to his great-aunt in the gleaming yellow van, looking out across the tops of hedgerows in a way that wasn't possible when he went in a car. From where he sat, he could see the sheep in the fields, and far away, right on the edge of sleepy forest, he saw some deer lapping at a stream. Mellow Yellow bumbled her way out of the village and went slowly up the hill towards higher starry skies. She eased her way past the tiny church and Moe's school and the bookshop with all the hidden nooks called Neither Up Nor Down and the store called Where There's a Wool, There's a Way, where Tilly bought all her knitting supplies. Every now and then, Mellow Yellow's horn let out a cheery toot, whether Tilly asked it to or not. Up and up they climbed, finally reaching the very top. Tilly asked Mellow Yellow to stop so they could sit and look at the view for a moment. Far in the distance, the bluest sea shimmered and glittered in the sunshine. A little line of sparkles sat against green and yellow meadows that rolled down hills and tumbled towards beaches of golden sand. Look, said Tilly, look up there. And she pointed high in the sky, far, far away. At first, Bo thought it was a flock of birds wheeling and floating in the thermals. But as he looked closer, he saw that it was a hundred or maybe even a thousand brightly coloured kites. Tilly rummaged around in a bag and drew out a long, thin brass telescope and handed it across to Bode. He felt a little bit like a pirate as he held the telescope to his eye. Twisting it this way and that, he finally made the blurry picture in front of him come into focus. There were kites of every colour and size fluttering and dancing in the sky. There were kites that looked like animals. There were kites that looked like fish. And there was even a giant red kite that looked exactly like a dragon and had a long, shimmering, waving golden tail. Is it very far away? he asked Tilly. Not at all, she said and smiled. And remember, we have a picnic to eat. Let's go, Mellow Yellow. The little van set off along the road once more, remembering to go slowly on the corners but letting herself rush a little bit on some of the downhills. Sometimes, just sometimes, she liked to pretend she was a roller coaster, albeit a very old, very slow one. Beau watched as tiny trees and towns grew larger and larger as they got closer, and then watched again as they got smaller and smaller as they receded into the distance behind the little yellow van. We're near my favourite field, said Tilly. And Bo thought if anyone was to have a favourite field, it would of course be Tilly. Most people just see fields as fields, as places where farmers grow food or keep animals, but Tilly saw them as separate little worlds. As they rounded a corner, she sighed happily and pointed towards the field. There! She said, There it is, my absolute favourite field in the whole wide world. Isn't she a beauty? The field danced with wild flowers. Cheerful red poppies shimmied alongside handsome blue cornflowers. Foxgloves and dandelions and daisies and fairy lace and bee balm and cardinals and miniature roses all raised their heads and smiled as mellow yellow went slowly past. A huge tree stood in the centre of the field. Bo could see it was an ancient oak, its wide branches and green leaves offering a pool of shade to a group of rabbits. Oh, look, they're having a picnic too said Tilly delightedly, and she was absolutely right, for the rabbits had laid out a pile of leaves as a blanket and had gathered mounds of carrots and plums and peaches to feast on. One small rabbit lowered its carrot and waved shyly at Bo as they drove past and, thinking it was a little strange to wave at a rabbit, Bo waved back. It would have been rude not to he reasoned, although part of him was a little glad none of his school friends had seen him wave at a rabbit. When things are wonderful, time always seems to tumble by so terribly, terribly quickly, and in that way they were soon down at the edge of the meadow and looking out at the golden sand and the sparkling silver sea, and above them, the kites pulled at the end of their strings and dashed this way and that against the bluest of skies. Aunt Tilly parked mellow yellow, where the grass looked the absolute greenest it could. Help me down, dear, she said to Beau, and he climbed out and walked around to her side and held out his arm so she could take a step and a little jump down onto the ground. Take some blankets and pillows off the bed, dear, and let's get that hamper out too, she said. And Bo did as he was asked. Inside the hamper sat the peaches and sandwiches and cake, and Bo couldn't wait to open it up and start eating. It was, he thought, the most perfect picnic spot anyone could ever find. The only people nearby were holding on to kites, and they weren't so very near at all. He and Tilly were in their own little grass-green bubble, safe alongside Mellow Yellow. All he could hear was the slightest rustling in the grass as the wind wound its way through and the gentle sound of waves washing onto the sand. Oh, bother, said Tilly. Bo looked up. He had been so very, very close to falling asleep. Have you ever lain in the warm sun on the softest bed of grass, listening to the waves and tried not to fall asleep? It's almost impossible. What's the trouble? he asked rubbing his eyes. You tied up the hamper so absolutely brilliantly that I can't even begin to untie it, she said. Bo looked at the mass of rope and thought it was even more untidy than when he'd left it. If anything, her efforts to untie it had made it worse. Here, let me have a go, he said and knelt down and poked his tongue out slightly in the way he does when he's concentrating very hard indeed and tried and tried to get the ends of the rope to go back through the loops in just the right way he tried this way and that way and he even tried the other way and either way just for good measure but none of them worked i'm so sorry he said sadly. All that cake, all those peaches, all those delicious Tilly-made sandwiches, they were all so safely stowed they couldn't be released. You know, dear, I think I know what we need, said Tilly. Some scissors, he suggested. If I had those, it would be very helpful. Unfortunately, they're in the hamper, dear. No, we need another way. I'll be right back. Tilly floated off towards the hedgerow, and Beau watched as she knelt down and almost seemed to talk to it. He wasn't sure what was happening and watched curiously as she reached out a hand and then covered something very carefully and gently with the other before drifting back towards him i believe this little mouse can be of assistance she declared and out of her hands popped a tiny grey mouse with long pointy teeth who immediately set to work, chewing his way through the endless loops of rope. Beau watched as the mouse munched and chewed, gnashed and gnawed, and eventually the rope fell away from the wicker hamper. Tilly clapped her hands and whipped open the lid, leaning in to rummage around and find a large piece of cheese. You wonderful little mouse, thank you, she said, and handed him the cheese. The mouse bowed his head and took the offering, settling down on the blanket beside Bo to nibble contentedly. And so the three of them sat in the late afternoon sun, and watched as the kites were slowly wound down from the skies and popped back into bags and taken home to sleep until the next time they would get to go flying. And they watched as the waves became smoother and smoother until there were almost no waves at all and there came only the softest sound of the water gently washing along the sand. And they watched as the wind dropped and the grass stayed still and leaves gave up their dancing and the birds flew home from their busy days of adventures and settled down into their nests. I think it's time I got into my little nest too, said Tilly she showed Beau how to hang a hammock from two loops inside the front of the van so he could climb up and sway himself to sleep. And the mouse was given a special spot on the shelf of books where Tilly moved some of the books along and put in a pair of the softest, warmest, snuggliest socks she could find so he had a little bed all to himself for the mouse was now going to go wherever she and Bo went. And she closed the curtains on Mellow Yellow, so the van too could get a good night's sleep. Good night, dear, said Tilly, as she clambered into her nest in the back, drawing the blankets up high around her chin and turning her head this way and that until it found the perfect spot on the pillow. Beau pulled back the curtains a little as he lay in his hammock and looked out at the stars in the sky. He started to count them, the sparkles of magic, the promises of adventures, and snuggled down, cosy, into his pile of rugs. He wondered... Just for a moment, what other animals they would find to join the van, along with the mouse who lay, snoring with teeny tiny oh-so-soft snores, safe in his socks amongst the books. A vanimal, he mumbled to himself as he drifted off to sleep. Mellow yellow you're going to find many, many vanimals. And Mellow Yellow gently rocked him and dreamed the most wonderful dreams of country lanes and meadows and sweeping panoramas and sun-dressed views and all the animal friends they would find in the endless, timeless travels they would have he had a feeling he and aunt tilly would soon have a whole host of animals assisting them on their adventures finding their own little nooks in the warm of mellow yellow the van